Welcome to the Well Fuel Podcast, your spot for everything gut health, detox, hormones, a healthy home, mold, and everything in between. I'm your host, Isabel Smith. I'm an integrative and functional registered dietitian and the founder of Isabel Smith Nutrition. Hello, and welcome back to the Well Fuel Podcast. Today, we have our very own Sydney Flippo with us, and we're so happy to have her here because we are going to be talking about so many things gut and foundations of gut health and what you need to know and what's going on in your gut. Um, So welcome, Sydney. So happy to have you. Thank you. I'm happy to be here and um, actually get to talk to everybody finally. So yay. (laughs) Yeah, it's been a major goal of ours to really like introduce you and have everybody get to know you. And so this is a really fun way that we're going to be doing this. More and more, Sydney and I are going to be having a lot of like nutrition and overall health conversations, especially stuff that comes up with our um, clients and audience and um, questions we're getting and the whole nine yards. So we are going to dive right into gut. So um, Sydney and I were kind of thinking and talking about what we wanted to talk about on today's podcast and how we wanted to approach gut health because it's a really big topic and there's definitely going to be, you know, like a lot of things in the future that we're going to continue to to discuss around gut health, but we want to just like lay it out for you. So when it comes to the gut, um, you know, we like to start with thinking about the house of where the whole shebang lives, which is the lining, right? And so, um, you know, when it comes to gut lining, the lining is really how we keep the whole thing healthy, right? I mean, Sydney, don't, you know, we talk about that a lot with our clients. Yeah, we do. And I think it's important for people to remember that the gut lining has two different layers. So you don't just have a mucosal layer that's on the top. That's what we kind of work on initially and we're getting to, but we also have epithelial cells underneath that comprise our tight junctions. And so tight junctions are what actually keep substances from getting through the gut lining or keep things in the gut and keep them moving through the system. Yeah. And I think that that's a super, I mean, if we like had a whiteboard and could draw you guys a diagram right now, that would be really helpful because really, if you can think about the cells, well, I guess Maybe if you're watching this, if we do the video version of this, you can see me (laughs) talking with my hands. But, um, you know, if you picture your hands really like your your pinkies, pinky to pinky together, really, that's what we're talking about. The cells are tight. They're, They're connected. They're close together. When we start to have irritants or pollutants or chemicals, toxicity from the environment, there's actually space in between those, you know, you know, touching pinkies, one would say here. And there's holes, there's space that the bacteria garbage can actually flow through into the bloodstream because remember this tissue that we're talking about is millimeters it's 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 so thin and so right underneath it is 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 blood flow and so when we think about somebody with chronic allergies inflammation lots of symptoms we first start to think about leaky gut what is happening in this person's gut in terms of garbage that should be actually living in the gut, staying in the gut, getting into the bloodstream and therefore making this person reactive. I mean, you know, and so in Sydney, Sydney, can you tell us a little bit more about like the mucosal layer and the role of the mucus, mucus in the gut? Yeah. Yeah. So the mucus is really protective of some of the, it kind of contains some of our immune cells, right? And so our immune cells, we have about 70% of our immune cells that reside in our gut. And these cells are located in that mucosal layer and in the intestinal lining. Um, And so it's just, it's really important when we're thinking about our clients 
a lot of times when we're treating clients and we, you know, have something initially, as we're working through cleansing their gut, we start to break through some of these mucosal layers because the mucus is kind of thick, right? There's multiple layers. And I know you've said this before, if you have like a tube, you have to think about all of these circles underneath of the tube that you're getting at where stuff can hide, bacteria, you know, overgrowths and things like that, um, even fungus and yeast. So um, yeah, yeah. totally. And, And the way I explain that, you know, my lucky clients who get a really lovely drawing on the other end of the phone when we're talking about this, imagine I drew a very, very messy circle uh, uh, you know, I asked like, you know, my five-year-old, which I don't have, but like imagine <laughs> I did to draw a very messy circle, right? What we're seeing um, when we do a stool test or when we're looking at a sample is only the innermost layer of that messy circle. And imagine all of the rest of those messy circles that kind of expand outward. Um, that That's what your body actually also sees and experiences. But I can't see that as the practitioner. Sydney can't see that as the practitioner. We only yeah. see the internal. However, with clinical judgment and a lot of experience, we can, you know, ascertain um, and, and, and assume actually, and assumptions are never good. But with this kind of stuff, sometimes we have to really listen. We often have to listen to what the person's experiencing and feeling and yeah. then, you know, kind of treat that way. Right. And clinical judgment, I think, becomes a really important part of treating our kinds of clients, wouldn't you say? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, as we're working with people and as we're seeing their symptoms evolve throughout the treatment process, because they do, I mean, we're never stagnant. And I think that that's something that's also important to remember about gut health, um, that we see new things pop up and we have to use that clinical judgment to be able to say, okay, this is actually going on. So let's go ahead and shift gears a little bit and let's take care of that because those are the symptoms that are coming up and are most prominent for you right now. A hundred percent. So going back to the gut lining and the mucosal tissue. So um, when we talk about mucus, people are like, ew, you know, like, (laughs) ew. But really the function of the mucosal tissue is to produce mucus. And when it produces enough healthy mucus, people go to the bathroom well, the the tissue is lubricated and healthy in the, you know, intestine and the gut. Um, Typically people have fewer symptoms and and realities of leaky gut. Um, What are some things that people can do, Sydney, to help with both increasing the health of their intestinal um, lining as well as um, potentiate maybe the health of the mucosal tissue? Yeah. So, I mean, I would say that we definitely want to think about what we are consuming, right? Because that's going to be what's coming into contact with that inner mucosal layer. Um, So we definitely want to make sure that we're consuming lots of vegetables that have lots of different types of fiber. That's going to be really important for us. We want to stay hydrated Mm -hmm. because we think about mucus. And if you think about mucus in the sense of like, what you can experience on the outside, which is like your tears, your nasal mucosa, your mouth, um, you know, if that's dry, you can kind of really experience that. So so hydration, water, minerals are going to be super important for that. I know you're a big proponent of juicing, which does really great things for hydration because you get a lot of minerals in there. Um, I'm a fan of smoothies for hydration. I have smoothies yeah. every morning for breakfast. So um, yeah, I mean, I, I think probably one of the most important things you can do is hydration. Totally. And I think 
Um, the reality also as we get older is that mucus and mucus membranes also dry up a little bit. So we see, you know, whether it's in the mouth and, you know, nose, eyes, vaginally for yep. our female clients, um, even like rectally, you know, for our male clients, like things just get drier as we get older. So the health of the mucosal tissue is so, so important and can be a really kind of forgotten and unspoken, you know, uh, factor True. In, 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 in a lot of etiology behind just like a lot of the symptoms we see. Yeah. And I think as like part of the foundation, I think both of us talk to our clients about that, but it's something that like is so second nature to us that sometimes I think it can kind of get lost. So I think it's great to kind of pull it back to the surface and remind people how important it is to care for your mucus. (laughs) Would you say, I got a lot of these questions from people like, you know, does everybody have leaky gut? You know, what do you Um, think? I mean, I wouldn't say so, but I would say that we're we are getting a lot of stressors on a regular basis, right? We have a lot of environmental toxins, we have a lot of toxins that we're exposed to in our skincare, in our makeup that we use, in our body care products that we clean with, laundry detergents. So we're exposed to a lot of toxins that way. We're exposed to a lot of toxins in our food supply as well. Um, we don't have as much soil biodiversity either. Mm. Um, And so while I don't think everybody has full-blown leaky gut, I think we're probably more prone to getting it just because of all these different types of stressors that we have on a regular basis. Our lives are stressful too, and especially have been over the pandemic years and recovering from the pandemic years. And all of that plays a role into your gut lining and its ability to do its job. Totally. And things that people can do on like an everyday basis to help with gut lining health. Don't use Teflon pans, you know, <laughs> please. That, that should have gone out the window a long time ago. Be thoughtful about the can linings, you know, um, packaging linings. A lot of them will say BPA free, which by the way, does not necessarily mean that we are in the clear because there is BPB, BPD, BPS, all this other, but BPA is a, is a known problem in this regard. Filtering your air, um, being thoughtful about, you know, the products that we use on our skin, the clothing we wear and the materials they're made of, we are going to be doing more later in the season on that, actually. Um, you know, the environmental stuff, that kind of stuff can make a really big difference. You know, um, if you, you know, work with somebody like us, us or somebody like us, leaky gut is a conversation that we're certainly having with our clients and often something that we're ending up working on. But you, on your own, in the meantime, can help with reducing overall toxicity in your life. Um, I was looking at some kind of research and I don't have like the data at the top of my head, which I should, but I think it was like eating organic for one week alone reduces chemical load by some exponential amount. I can't remember what the percentage was, but yeah, I know what you're talking about. I've seen that too. Um, And I think it's it's, remarkable. It was like, it was. Yeah. It's crazy. Um, It's crazy. And I think, you know, those little choices, like I think we hear a lot from people, you know, oh, why is it important to pick organic? Like, why? Why do I need to do that? It's more, you know, it might be more expensive. It might be this or that. But in the grand scheme of things, what you can choose to do for yourself is important. And that's one small thing that we all can choose to do for ourselves. If we can, if we can, if we can afford it, you know, water makes an excellent solvent for removing some of this chemical pesticide stuff. So you, um, you, you know, if you can't afford organic, don't torture yourself, please. Um, yeah. <laughs> wash your vegetables well. Yeah. Um, organic frozen vegetables are an excellent replacement. Um, organic canned, excellent replacement and more inexpensive. 
Um, local farm, self-grown, that kind of stuff. It doesn't have the, have the organic label to have fewer pesticides and that goes a long way in itself. Yeah. I would definitely say that with like local farming for sure. A lot of local farmers practice organic, but they're not going to pay to have the organic label. So if you can talk to the farmers that are in your area, that's really great as well. I do have one question for you that I get all the time and I'd love to hear your answer because I know how I answer it, but what is the best way to clean vegetables? Uh, I just, so either just plain water or, or one-to-one water and white vinegar, but your vegetables might taste like white vinegar. If you do that, please don't use any kind of like washes, chemical washes, because you will never get all the chemicals off. And then we're just adding to our chemical load, which ultimately is a problem in itself. Yeah. Okay. So, so that's our leaky gut. We're going (laughs) to, we will definitely do a more in-depth leaky gut, you know, conversation, but we want to just touch on some important and fun things here. One thing I think we forget when we think about the gut is that it's actually part of the immune system. So uh, we think about it in terms of digestion. We think about it in terms of gut discomfort, going to the bathroom, blah, blah, blah. But we forget that it's largely involved in the immune system. And again, as I mentioned, that's largely because the the there's so much blood flow and innervation in the in in the gut, but also um, there's a lot of immune markers that we can measure through stool and through you know your, your immune system is is basically right there in the gut. Um, yeah, you know. Yeah, and I Go think ahead. one thing that um, I talk about with my clients a lot is like even from your normal blood work from your CBC, we can kind of tell a little bit about your gut, right? Because just of how those um, those immune cells react, what those numbers are, we can actually tell from yeah. from some of that, at least what we need to test further, right? That something is going on there. Um, totally, totally. And, you know, to put, to give some numbers, the gut does contain 70% of our immune cells, right? And um, back to the gut lining, these cells are along the intestinal lining and are called, if you'd like the name, gut-associated lymphoid tissues or GALT. And, you know, they actually help your body to ascertain what's safe, what's not safe. And if you think about it, I mean, the gut takes a lot of the weight in terms of protecting and protection. It We swallow all sorts of stuff all day long, which has tons of bacteria on it. And it's really up to the gut to either say, this is safe, this is healthy, this is not, yep. to identify the, you know, the immune cells, to identify infections, go out, seek them, kill them, et cetera. So it, it's a huge role um, yeah. that's going on there. Yeah. And I like to, I like the analogy of like the galt, that tissue. What it does is it sticks a little arm out and samples things as it goes by to determine whether your body needs to activate an inflammatory response or an anti-inflammatory response. And I just love that visual of it like reaching out (laughs) through the lining to like taste things. Go, go gadget arm. No, the body is amazing. The body is incredible. And we don't even think about these things that are going on, you know, at all in our, in our bodies. Right. But these are the things that are happening. So let's say somebody has intense leaky gut, right? you're probably going to have more of an inflammatory response, right? More quickly, more, more in a more sustained way to things that float by that cute little arm, which is, you know, now extending and sampling. Whereas, you know, at least with tight junctions and, and the food and the waste and all of it staying within the gut, right? We're, we're a little bit more calm and peaceful, but yeah. also always have to think about what else is going on in the immune system. That makes a big difference as well. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's interesting also that, you know, like our immunity changes over time in other parts of our body, it does adjust over time in our gut as well. But immunity is going to begin at at conception, and it's going to evolve over our lifetime, just like our gut bacteria kind of changes a little bit too. Totally. You know, so when you're like, you know, I'm like, say to my clients, I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, you have this issue, like, you know, I know your family, your mom has this issue. They're like, can I blame this on my mom? I'm like, yeah, I blame, <laughs> I blame everything on my mom. <laughs> um, no, it's not quite that simple. But we do, we do um, uh, inherit a certain amount of bacteria. But then, of course, you know, our choices, our environments, the things we do, the places we go, all of that influences. And I think, you know, uh, the body also doesn't forget one of the questions we, we have on our intake questionnaires when clients come are like, how many childhood antibiotics were you taking? Have you ever had food poisoning? People are like, why are you asking us that question? Because all of this impacts the health of the microbiome. Yep. And I was having a conversation yesterday with a client who I've known and had on my, you know, working with me for a long time, very consistently as well. And we finally got into the conversation about how many childhood antibiotics she'd been on. And I didn't realize just how much it was. And, you know, we are dealing with chronic reflux and like chronic, very chronic stuff. That's a lot of chronic allergy, a lot of chronic histamine intolerance that may or may not necessarily have definitively been in the background, but it's all helpful when thinking about somebody's full picture. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that that was part of my picture with like my like allergies and histamine type of stuff. I mean, I have a lot of stuff that's, I think, like everybody else reflected in the mm-hmm. skin. So um, I had rosacea, I had eczema, they looking at my nails thought I had psoriasis, which I do have a family history of. Um, but I had a lot of antibiotics as a kid when I had a bunch of ear infections, ended up having tubes as a kid. I like still occasionally get ear infections as an adult. Like I'm one of those people. And that definitely played a role in like my allergy response for sure. Totally. I totally. And it does. And I think, you know, when we were children of the eighties and nineties, you know, it's like, oh, what's your problem? Here's your antibiotic, right? And yep. and that was just the way it was. And we didn't know better. And, you know, that's what it was. But I think now we, we do know better. And yep. we do know that the amount of antibiotics somebody takes over a lifetime can really impact the health of the gut. So, um, so okay, so we move, we move, we're moving through this, you know, this, this C here. Um, so now you guys know that the immune system is certainly part of the, a part of the gut and actually largely the function of the gut is the immune system, to be honest. Um, So thinking about now, we've talked about the home of the bacteria. We talked about the kind of the way that we ascertain good bacteria from bad bacteria. Now, the gut bacteria itself is really like, that is your golden ticket. Honestly, we are more bacterial cells than human cells, 10 to one, I think it is, um, which is gross. It's in us, on us, around us, you know, kind of the whole nine yards. Um, And unequivocally, the most important thing when we think about the health of the microbiome is diversity, not necessarily how many bacteria you have, but how many species. So there was a cool study that I um, learned about at some point. I can't even, you know, it was like either in grad school or since then, but, you know, kids who live in cities versus kids who grow up on farms may have the exact same total number of bacteria, but the variety is like, like so much more expansive in kids that grew up on farms and in soil. Um, yeah you know, urban, suburban areas, I should say, not urban places. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think it's interesting how much our environment uh, plays a role into that too. I think a lot of times, you know, when we're talking about the microbiome um, and the gut bacteria that's in there, we, you know, how do we get more diversity and things like that, right? I, I think that question comes up a lot for us. Um, and a lot of it comes back to what we're eating again, right? How much diversity do we have in our diet? Because that re- directly affects how much diversity we have in the different types of bacteria that we have in our gut. 100%. And one of the more difficult things about restrictive diets and, you know, whether it be low FODMAP or low histamine or whatever, um, is that ultimately they're positive for a certain amount of time and then it becomes actually deleterious on the gut because um, if we're only eating, you know, a small fraction of items, then we're, we're actually not getting we're not getting a variety and therefore the gut bacteria is actually suffering. So how do we, you know, one of the things that we like to do is really work on people to not work with people to not only kind of get through that certain need of the restrictive diet, but then be able to heal and liberalize the diet to really perpetuate gut bacteria health. Yeah. And I think it's, I think a lot of clients and we probably get this question a lot too, or get this comment a lot is like, I've been following this for so long. I'm scared. I'm scared to try new foods. And so that's when it's helpful to have someone on your team to kind of walk you through like, okay, well, these are probably safer foods for us to try first. Let's try some of this. Or what's the portion size that we need to try? Because all of that comes into play and um, it's a process to work through for sure. Totally. And I think the most important thing is, is that like there is certainly a function for these restrictive diets. But really, when we think about the overall health of the microbiome, they do make the microbiome suffer over time, which is going to therefore prevent, you know, healing and recovery, etc. So to give you guys some, um, you know, numbers, um, 90%. Um, so so we have like hundreds of millions of different amounts of bacteria and species and blah, 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 blah. Um, you know, we, we have a variety of different types of species that actually may increase risk for histamine overproduction that may, um, increase risk for, or, or depending on the, the amount of the bacteria in the gut, you know, acromansia is one of the ones I'm thinking of, um, Mm -hmm. will, will determine, um, inflammatory responses in the large intestine. So these bacteria actually have specific focuses. And when we think about, um, what makes up the largest kind of portion is two species called bacterioides and firmicutes. Yep. And they make up 90% roughly of the whole microbiota. Um, and within that, there's, you know, multiple, we don't need to like go through all the species you have. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, what, one of the things that we look at is what's the ratio? Are these guys overgrown, undergrown? Do they have what they need? Because they really do make up so much. And we can actually see when somebody eats a more meat-based diet or a more plant-based diet, based on the way that the bacterioides and firmicutes end up showing up. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's where we talk a lot about balance. I mean, obviously plants are super, super important, but there Mm -hmm. is a place for meat and animal-based proteins in the diet as well. There, you know, you don't want to be too far, I think, on either end of the spectrum. There has to be that kind of healthy balance as far as Mm -hmm. those two Mm -hmm. um, types of bacteria Um go. 
Absolutely. And, you know, when we look and we're referring to like the testing and stuff we do, but it's only a one-time snapshot too. So we're not necessarily able to always like ascertain for sure, for sure what's going on. But again, we get a snapshot in time. What can somebody do to help with improving the overall health of their gut bacteria, the amount of species? Like what are a few things that we can tell our listeners to do? Yeah. So I think digestion is probably the first thing that I think about is like how well somebody is digesting and digestion starts in the mouth, right? So Mm -hmm. we have to be relaxed when we're sitting down to eat. I always tell people, take a few deep breaths, really sit there and like try to relax, sit up straight, don't like slouch too much, but just try to be in a relaxed state when you're eating. Um, And you really want to chew your food well. I think my mother-in-law, I like told her once to chew her food more than she thought. And she said that that's like the one thing that sticks out in her head that I've like told her over time is just like chew more. (laughs) Um, But it's true. I mean, you do want to make sure that you're chewing your food to like we say like an applesauce consistency, right? So you want to chew your food well, because once it hits your stomach, you don't want your stomach having these large particles that it's having to break down more. Um, Stomach acid and pancreatic enzymes are definitely something that we can see on testing, but something that I think about with clients is um, which relaxing and chewing well helps with that whole process. Um, What we're eating definitely helps as well. Um, Timing is going to be important too. So we want to give our gut time to do its job and it needs a certain amount of time in between our meals and our snacks. And that's super important when we're thinking about diversity and just the movement of things through our gut. Um, We need about three to four hours at least in between our meals. Um, So that's super important. Not eating too large of a quantity at one time too. You don't want to eat to super over fullness if you can prevent that. Um, and then, yeah, just like we've talked about before, diversity of plants that you have in your diet is super important. So the more colors, the more different types of plants you can have within a day in your diet, that's going to be super helpful because of the types of fiber that are available yes. in those foods. Yeah. And I think the space the space and time thing is actually probably the most important thing, I feel like, well, chewing for sure. But um one of the things, and I get questions all the time, and I know Sydney does too, should we do intermittent fasting, yada, yada. It's really important to have a 12-hour overnight fast. However, what I find when people start to smush their entire food day into a few hours is that they just eat for set amount Still of eight. hours, right? Eating, 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 eating for eight hours. OMG. So by the end of that eight-hour time frame, the poor body is like, what is in me? Right? The dysfunction in the movement, because you've been eating for the eight hours straight, you certainly do need, you know, whatever, 16 hours to recover from that. However, if we get up, I would say waiting an hour or two between when you wake up and when you eating, when you start eating is good. And then from there, eating every three to four hours or so is helpful. Trying not to eat too close to dinner. Don't worry if your dinner is late, you know, I'm sorry, to, to bedtime rather, try not to eat too close to bed. But don't worry if your dinner is late. It's okay. Like, don't torture yourself about it. Just try and give yourself an hour or two before bed. Um, what happens in between in this moments between the food is that your body and your gut bacteria gets a chance to cleanse itself. It gets a chance to, there's a process called the migrating motor complex. Literally it, it cleans itself, right? And if yep. we're constantly eating, it doesn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where we have a lot of 
a possibility for like fermentation and and things yeah. like that and that's where we see a lot of issues for people so yeah the spacing and and timing of things is definitely something that i think both of us work with all of our clients on <laughs> it's more important than the what you eat like truly yeah. the how is more important than the what like no questions asked and so i think people really like over um over complicate over fancify things you know and they make it more complicated than it needs to be but yeah. slowing down is like ultimately super important thinking about the how you're laying it out etc cetera, etc cetera. so when it comes to pre and probiotics um you know we get a lot of questions about what to be taking Lately, I'm finding that most of my clients are responding most favorably to like a spore-based probiotic. They tend to be most well-tolerated. But as always, you're going to need specific recommendations. There are certain strains that are meant for IBS. There are certain strains that are meant for mold. There are certain strains that are meant for yeast. There are certain strains, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, I like the spore-based ones because they tend to do a pretty good job at repopulating just the general microbiome itself and generally well-tolerated. But beyond that... I think everybody kind of needs to be assessing what they need from it and, and then go from there working with an expert. Would you say, Sydney? Yeah, I, I would definitely say that. And I would say, too, that when we can do testing and we can see, you know, if people are lacking healthy bacteria, that's where a prebiotic type right. of fiber comes more into play. Um and they're just super important. I, I think we don't focus a lot on prebiotics just because like yeah. we just don't eat enough plants most of the time to really yeah. facilitate that. Um, but yeah, I, I, there's so many different strains and so much nuance to the probiotic that you're not going to be getting probably the most benefit out of it if you just go and pick one off the shelf. There's a little bit more nuance to that and it helps and it, to work with somebody. Yeah. And in the show notes, what we'll do is we'll list some of our favorite, just like general probiotics, you yep. know, but as always, you know, we're not giving medical advice and you should check with your practitioner, but we do have some that we find that we like. I think most people could use a prebiotic, honestly, in this day and age. Um, and I find sometimes I actually start with a prebiotic before I even roll somebody into a probiotic Yeah, because, um, you know, it just more tolerance, et cetera. Yeah, I definitely start a majority of my clients on a prebiotic um, when we're starting off their gut healing journey because a lot mm -hmm. of us need it. So um, that's definitely a product that I like and fall on a lot with a lot of clients. Agree. And there's a lot of great like products and powders and all these other things out there that one can that one can look to. And I think what's important again is um, uh, working with somebody. Um, you know, starting with food, don't rely too heavily on just like pills and powders, but really yeah. think about what you're eating, cutting back on the sugars, considering how much alcohol you're drinking, processed foods, yada, yada, trying to really work on the food piece because nothing, and we will say this like until we're blue in the face, nothing replaces what you can do with your food. There is no replacement for the food piece of things. And yeah. I think that that's super, super important. Um, you know, so there's in terms of like, you know, like the rest of the gut stuff, there's so much other stuff that we could be talking about. And frankly, I think we need like a whole episode alone for pre and probiotics and a whole episode alone for motility. Yeah. So I think we're going to like record that separately. But what I would like to do is I would like to answer some of the questions that we got for nice. we got I, I had some I dropped a box saying that we were <laughs> going to be um, doing this today. And what kinds of questions do you guys have? Um, 
you know, I got a lot of questions on castor oil packs. Ooh. And, um, I mean, we can talk about that. We can talk about that. Um, castor oil packs are literally, it's castor oil, which is literally an oil that you put on a, basically like a piece of fabric or something that ties around you. I like to use a product called Queen of Thrones. You yep. put it on your liver. The liver is heavily, heavily involved in the general digestive process. Liver is, you know, where the, the bile, the bile is produced, stored, um, as well as the gallbladder and released. And so um, that is helpful with just making general stool, going to the bathroom well, et cetera. When the liver is clogged and that doesn't always show up on blood work, blood test, um, but stimulating the liver, which can happen through through cruciferous vegetables, as well as castor oil packs and electrolytes and drinking enough water, it can help you poop as well as other things. Sydney, what other, I'm sure you yeah, have some other Yeah, I mean, I think that um, when we're thinking, it's really, it's really supported that detoxification system, right? And that's like kind of what we're thinking of. There's a direct, a direct portal from your gut to your liver, right? And so things go into it, they get packaged up, and then they come back out to go out in our stool. Um, and so, yeah, castor oil packs are super, super helpful for that. They're also just like a, I don't, I mean, I like having them as just like a part of my routine, because it's almost like calming. I don't, I don't yeah, know why, it's, but it's almost calming um, yeah. to kind of have, I use the Queen of Thrones too. But a lot of people, if you like see them on, um, like other places of purchase, it'll be like a flannel shirt or something like that too, like that type of material. Um, But something that's just not going to absorb all of the castor oil so that it can actually be absorbed into your skin. Yeah. And this is like not like, this is like more a detox conversation. So we'll probably bring the castor oil pack in later. But what I will say just to like tie it full circle back into the conversation we're having is that, you know, from a constipation perspective, the more constipated you are, the less healthy for the gut bacteria. And, you know, that perpetuates problems of dysbiosis and imbalance in gut bacteria, which in itself is going to be a conversation I decided <laughs> because you know, I, what, what we wanted to do today was talk about like the general, some general things to think about. Like, obviously we threw a lot of golden nuggets in this conversation as well. Um, uh, there's another good question, which is what does str- stress do to the gut and digestion? Ooh, yeah. Very so it is. So, when this is how I like to tell people, when you think about your stress response, your body is pulling resources away from things that it doesn't need to be using right then, right? So it's pulling resources and giving them to your heart, your lungs, your muscles, things that you need to actually flee the scene, which is not your digestive tract. So when we're in this constant state of stress, we're producing a lot of cortisol, a lot of epinephrine, norepinephrine, um, those fight or flight type of chemicals, it actually slows down motility and it's going to slow down your gut's ability to do its job effectively. And over time, Having that slowed motility, it can lead to constipation, it can lead to overgrowth, it can lead to, you know, some of that leaky gut that we were talking about before, but it really has to do with your body's physical response to stress, which is pulling resources away from things that it doesn't need. Totally. And also people notice sometimes that they have more instances of constipation and diarrhea. They have more stomach pain, more cramping, more indigestion, more reflux. Um, And so all of that can be a byproduct of stress as well. And when we have that going on and we, you know, are chronically kind of impairing the health of the digestive system, we end up in a situation where the bad bacteria over time, of course, along with a lot of other factors may uh, have an opportunity to overgrow and the good bacteria may not be as able to thrive. So, you know, 
not to panic you because life is stressful, but you want to be doing your meditation. You want to be doing your breathing work. You're working on quieting your parasympathetic, I'm sorry, your sympathetic nervous system and activating your parasympathetic to quiet your body down and help improve the digestive system. I heard a terrible, scary statistic at some point, which is like one four hour stressful event kills some like huge number of healthy gut bacteria, which is like enough to freak anybody out. The bottom line is that the more things we can do to help with the stress cycle, the better the health of the microbiome, the better the health of the lining of the gut, the better the function of the gut, the digestive capabilities, the whole nine yards. So um, that's why it's super important to as a consideration. There's a lot of other specific questions that you guys left me about SIBO and mold toxicity and H. pylori and the rest of it. And we're going to answer those in in our specific. I'm going to screenshot these. I'm going to keep asking for you guys to chime in on questions um, when we're recording podcasts because we want to answer some of these questions live. And we're going to be continuing to take them. Um, And at some point, we'll even have a question line in here that you guys can call in questions. But for now, we're going to be using the Instagram (laughs) to do so. So when somebody comes to us wanting help with their gut, can you talk us through some of the things that we like to kind of like the pathway to kind of how we look at things and what we're doing um, overall? Yeah. So um, if any client, any of my clients have had general lab testing or are able to get that, I will have them get that because like I said, that's just a nice first place to look um, and see what's going on because we can tell a lot even if you're within the normal ranges, maybe you're not within the functional ranges, which are a little bit different. Um, Stool testing is definitely something we can do for clients. We have a couple of different stool tests that we like to use depending on the client. Um, So we have that option. We do weekly visits with clients with gut health issues a lot of the times because we find that to be the most helpful in your journey because there's a lot of nuance and a lot of things that have to be adjusted from week to week, especially if we're doing any type of like supplementation or anything like that. Even the basics require repetitive, you know, checking in on. Um, So we love to meet with clients, clients weekly. We do use supplements with most of our clients, I would say we'll use supplements with of some sort, because I feel like supplementation is something that even if it's not like killing off bacteria or something like that, we probably still need a little bit of supplementation. Um, Individualized dietary recommendations. Some of my clients, I will provide them help with like recipes or planning menus. Some of our clients like have chefs and will help work with that. So it really depends on the client. But in general, I would say testing, weekly visits, um, and just overall individualized help. Yeah. And really helping people to focus on their, you know, stress, stress management. I'd say if I could like, if you guys were asking like, what are some things I can really do to help improve my gut stress management, better sleep is yep. really important. Chewing your food better, focus on, on getting more fiber, which does include my friend juices. They do have soluble fiber in them. I am a fan girl. <laughs> um, and they do make a difference. Um, and really like not leaning too hard into like the pills and the stuff without particular yep. help. You know, it's a good idea to have, you know, somebody do some testing and kind of look into what's going on if you have stuff going on or if you're just curious. But those are some things you guys can do on your own. So 
Um, you guys, we're going to be talking a lot more fun topics with Sydney here. It's been so fun to chat about general basics for gut health. We have so many more in-depth conversations that we're going to be having. In the meantime, you can catch us at Isabel Smith Nutrition on Instagram. Um, if you click link in bio, we have some fun freebies. We've got a lot of content on our website as well that you can get in our link in bio. Um, and catch us back here on the Wellfield podcast in the next episode. Thanks so much for joining and we can't wait to chat with you guys more. As always, thanks guys for listening to the Wellfield podcast. You can catch more information on social media, follow Isabel Smith Nutrition, and of course also the Wellfield podcast. For information about how we work, what we're doing, and for all the content we have on our website, go to isabelsmithnutrition.com or you can go to link in bio in Isabel Smith Nutrition and get all the info there. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast and stay tuned for next week's great episode.